Hey creeps, today I want to introduce you to someone, someone who's special to our creepy little family. A creep like us living in his mother's basement, looking up at the stairs thinking, hmm, maybe another day. I got things to talk about. He's a fellow podcaster, someone who's extremely close to us. His name's TZ Borden and he just finished his first season of his podcast. Unlike my podcast, the entire season delves into one case. And it asks the question, what motive could a father have for hurting his own son? What dark secret is Mark Redwine hiding? In season one, the host TZ Borden investigates the curious case of a missing 13-year-old boy and the father suspected of murder. If you find yourself enjoying what you're about to hear, please go search Tapes from the Dark Side on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, without further ado, I'd like to introduce to you our podcast creepy cousin, Tales from the Dark Side, Episode 1. Tapes from the Dark Side contains descriptions of violence and sexuality. Listener discretion is advised. The search for a missing Colorado teen who vanished from his father's home during a court-ordered visit. Loved by his family, by his friends, everybody. He's just the sweet kid every mom dreams of having. You were the last person to have seen your son before he disappeared. Well, and I don't believe that. What do you believe? I believe that the postal worker saw Dylan later that afternoon. Dylan had found some pretty disturbing pictures of Mark. The pictures were, quote, disgusting. Him dressed in women's clothing and wearing a diaper and, um, and, you know. Eating his feces. Yes. I think everyone has a bit of a fascination with the dark side. I myself have always loved the dark side as well. I think it's something that everyone secretly longs for and wants. You're his father. How could you do this to him? Elaine, I don't have, I don't know where Dylan is. I haven't had I anything believe, to do with this. I don't I know that's a lie. Monday, November 19th, 2012, Dylan Redwine, a 13-year-old boy, went missing in La Plata County, Colorado during a Thanksgiving visit to see his father. Dylan's parents were divorced and his mother Elaine had primary custody of both Dylan and his older brother Corey. Elaine immediately suspected her husband, Mark Redwine, of foul play. From the numerous interviews Elaine has given to the press, which we will later hear, she openly accuses Mark of either having hidden Dylan somewhere or possibly hurt him. This is where this case gets bizarre. Not just a little bizarre. I've been a true crime fan for nearly my entire life, and this is one of the single strangest cases I've ever heard. I remember hearing about this case for the first time almost two years ago. Initially, I wasn't convinced it was a real story. Yet when I started digging, each new twisted fact I discovered became more grist for the mill. 
fuel for the fire of my search to find every piece of information I could. The desire to glimpse inside the peculiar mind of Mark Redwine became something of a personal obsession. In the summer of 2012, Dylan and his brother Corey discovered compromising pictures of their father, Mark Redwine, on his laptop while they were on a family beach vacation. The contents of these pictures are extremely disturbing and sexually graphic. The images show Mark Redwine dressed in women's clothing, wearing a baby bonnet on his head, and eating what appears to be feces from a cloth diaper. I have in fact seen one of these photos. Mark has reportedly given a number of explanations for the pictures that range in plausibility from surely false to completely absurd. Mark initially claimed the photos were photoshopped, yet this is highly unlikely for a number of reasons. The source for the other two alleged explanations originates from someone who has covered the case extensively and done multiple one-on-one interviews with Mark Redwine himself. The first of these explanations was that the pictures were some sort of extreme Halloween costume, and the second, that the pictures were staged and then planted on his computer by himself as part of an elaborate and convoluted prank to trick Dylan and Corey into admitting they had been snooping on his personal computer. The first major break in the case came approximately 10 days after Dylan was reported missing. Search dogs picked up his scent near the Vallecito Reservoir, a lake located about 14 miles south of Mark Redwine's house. The lake has a circumference of nearly 12 miles and is around 6 miles north to south and 1 mile wide. The lake is located on the Pine River in San Juan National Forest. Divers were brought in to search, but frigid temperatures prevented them from diving for more than 20 to 30 minutes at a time. Right now, dive team searching Vallecito Reservoir for a missing 13-year-old boy. Scuba divers in the lake right now and search teams combing the lake's 12-mile shoreline for Dylan Redwine. When we deal with kids, it, it brings the emotions to a totally different level. A dive with heartbreaking implications. Searching for a missing 13-year-old at the bottom of a lake. It's a needle in a haystack search. You know, we're going off of uh, uh, tips, we're going off of real general information, and it's the what if. Is he in there? Is he not in there? After Dylan Redwine disappeared, cadaver dogs picked up a scent at Lake Vallecito in Colorado. The New Mexico State Police Search and Recovery Team was called on to dive into the frigid waters and look for him. As soon as we find this young man, he automatically becomes an underwater crime scene. Six divers had the task of diving 35 feet down into freezing temperatures. Your heart's beating so fast, the water's so cold, you, you just really have to focus on everything that you've trained for, everything that you've learned. You have to keep that, that solid state of mind. Divers say the number one thing they hope to provide is closure. But in the case of Dylan, they came up empty-handed. To leave Colorado not knowing or bringing them any closer to, to answers was very difficult for us. The divers say if needed, they will pack up and go back to Colorado immediately to help in the case of this missing teen.
Tell me a little bit about Dylan. What kind of kid has he been growing up? What's he like? What is he into? You know, so many people have asked me that. Dylan is just a very humorous kid. He, he's got such a great sense of humor. Um, always made us laugh. Um, very conscientious, very selfless, you know. Very caring, very giving. Just an awesome, awesome kid. I never really had any um, issues as far as him. You know, he was 13, he'll be 14 soon. And never really dealt with, you know, that teenage year. Um, he, he's just, just, he's an awesome, awesome kid. Um, take me back to um, November and tell, and, and tell me, you know, you put him on the plane on Sunday and then, um, and then what happened? Did he call you and say, hey, Mama made it okay? Or um, As he always does, he texted me and let me know that um, his dad had picked him up and that was the last time I heard from him. What time of day was that? It was at 7.06 p.m. on Sunday night. And I had not heard, I have not heard from him since then. Did you try to get a hold of him on Monday? I texted him. I texted him Sunday night and I texted him Monday morning. But, you know, it wasn't uncharacteristic of Dylan not to text me back right away, especially if he was with his friends, which is what I kind of assumed, um, you know, had happened because I know he was really excited to see his friends. Um, so I really didn't think much of it. Um, and then that afternoon, I got a text from his dad asking me if I knew where Dylan was. What did you think when you got that text? Well, I was dumbfounded. I mean, you know, Dylan was visiting his father, and, and I told him it was very disconcerting that he had texted me and asked me where Dylan was, considering I'm, you know, five, six hours away. Um, so, you know, I, we all got in the car, and we drove to Durango. Immediately? Yes, immediately. I came home, packed a bag, um, grabbed Mike, grabbed Corey, and we were on the road. Um, when did you know that it was serious that he was missing? You know, that's a tough question. Um, I mean, it was serious when you know, his dad texted me and said he hadn't heard from him, but I never thought that, you know, we'd be sitting here two months later and he wasn't here. So I guess the seriousness just grew and grew and grew as time went by. You know, we were talking, do you the, there, there's those pictures from the airport and from um, Walmart, right, where he's in that outfit with the, what is it, Blue Devil's hat? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the T-shirt, the and, and do you think that when he went missing, he was probably still wearing that? Yes, I do. Dylan didn't change his clothes often. <laughs> he was 13, and, you know, he, he was just learning about, you know, his brother was teaching him about deodorant and things like that, I mean. Um, so he wasn't, you know, he wasn't all that worried about, you know, what he was wearing or he always thought he looked fine. <laughs> A typical 13-year-old boy. Yeah. He, he likes sports, especially baseball, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
He loved sports. I mean, that was him and his brothers. You know, he, they, he loved throwing the football around with his brother. He didn't necessarily like playing. I mean, he liked to play football. He wasn't just, he just wasn't all that big on the tackling and, you know, the pain. <laughs> He he really enjoyed baseball though, and and really enjoyed um, playing baseball. So you guys moved here uh, last summer. Did he did he, did he want to be here? Was he acclimating well? Do you think there's any possibility that he just you know was have, being bullied or anything like that? No, absolutely not. He loved being here. He loved his friends. He made so many friends here. He. Um, he loved going to Skate City with his friend Joe and all of his friends in our old neighborhood in Car Springs. Um, no, and he, he, he woke up every morning bright and early for school because he was excited for school. In Bayfield, he, you know, he would, you know, I'm sick today or, you know, it was just a little bit harder. But here, he loved being in the city. He loved just the... Um, atmosphere of, of what was going on. Today, the search for Dylan Redwine intensified in La Plata County. Today, it was really a race against the weather. Any evidence could be buried if snow falls this week. It can limit our search areas. Uh, the, the deeper the snow gets and the higher elevations, the harder it's going to be to search. Now we're told that more than 300 people are involved. 10 agencies are helping search more than 16 miles in this county. From Sky 7, you see those hundreds of people gathered together, optimistic to finally bring Dylan home. Uh, hopefully we can find some evidence or clues. Clues like Dylan's backpack, cell phone, or some clothes. Some believe he may have thrown something out of a car window or tried to escape or hide in areas like this. If you were cold, you might want to go in there. Of the 30 items flagged today as unusual, Action 7 News has learned 10 of them were collected as possible items of interest. Investigators will now look at them further. I'm going to head up a little bit more towards the road. If Dylan is still out there, can he survive? Action 7 News reporter Melissa Colorado has more. Tonight in La Plata County, the temperatures will dip down to 12 degrees. Mark Redwine, father of missing Colorado teen Dylan Redwine, is not just asking himself, where is my son? But what was he last seen wearing? I mean, you know, one of the questions I was asking, did, did he have a coat? But he told me, no, he didn't have a coat. No coat to keep the 13-year-old warm. Dylan, who vanished three weeks ago, may just be wearing a hoodie to brave the harsh winds. A hoodie's not going to keep him very warm, I wouldn't think, on these kind of conditions. On Saturday, nearly 300 volunteers searched through woods in La Plata County. Investigators flagged items of interest. There was a sock fitting a description of a type of sock that Dylan would wear. It's not yet clear if the sock belonged to Dylan, but Mark Redwine says... We're not going to stop looking for him because we got a little cold weather. Melissa Colorado, KOAT, Action 7 News.
It's a hard thought to deal with at all. For this tight-knit town, the thought of an abduction, a crime, is completely unexpected. I am a little afraid. I have a 12-year-old. This hits home. It's hitting home for Dylan Redwine's parents, too, who also participated today. Investigators say they are both cooperating, and neither are suspects right now, even though they found the lie detector test by Mark Redwine, Dylan's father, inconclusive. No one's ruled anyone out. In La Plata County, I'm Angela Brower, KYT Action 7 News. You're listening to Tapes from the Dark Side. Check out our Patreon where you can support the show and get early access to episodes, bonus content, and more. Go to patreon.com slash tapes from the dark side and support us for as little as one dollar per month. That's it. Back to the show. Why don't you start by telling me just a little bit about Dylan? What kind of kid was he? Well, Dylan Dylan was in many ways my best friend. You know, I spent a lot of time with him when he was a baby. He, he was a very giving and loving and caring child. And, you know, that's one of the things that makes it so hard because the world was a better place with him in it. I guess it was about 10 days after Dylan disappeared and your house was searched. What did investigators tell you about that and, and why they were doing it and what did they take? The search warrant was based on kidnapping. I believe they thought that I was involved with kidnapping my son. At that point, how did you feel? Did you feel like the finger was being pointed at you? And, and, you know, at that time, it didn't matter because the only thing that mattered to me was my son and, and finding out where he was at or what was going on. I welcomed law enforcement. Law enforcement didn't have to wait 10 days to search my house. I would have gladly allowed them to search my house without the search warrant. The point of getting the search warrant was so that they could follow the protocol so that they would have anything that they may may have found could be used, in a, you know, later on for whatever reason. Did you feel targeted, Mark, at that point? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. More and more as time went on. A little bit of background, if we might. What is the custody issue with Mark Redwine, your ex, and and you? When uh, we initially got divorced, um, I believe it was in 2008, we had joint custody, but Mark was an over-the-road truck driver or worked over the road, so he was not Mm -hmm. home. So he didn't exercise consistent uh, visitation. And this past July of 2012, I moved to the Colorado Springs area, and I wanted to put Dylan in school in the Colorado mm-hmm. Springs So I had to go back to court um, to to get that permanently addressed. And when we went back to court in September, uh, late September, is when um, I was uh, given um, – they don't really call it full custody like they used to, but, you know, I, I was awarded um, primary um, parenting. And did that upset uh, Dylan's dad, Mark? You know, he, uh, I, yes, I mean, it did upset him. He was very upset that I pulled Dylan out uh, of Bayfield schools and, and put him in Car Spring schools. Um, he was, uh, you know, he... he wanted the judge to grant him um, full custody to Dylan, even though he hadn't 
consistently been with Dylan for years mm-hmm. prior to us moving. Um, so he was not uh, very keen on the fact that the judge had actually granted um, me the ability to to keep Dylan here and, and keep him in school here in Car Spring. We were inseparable. I mean, anywhere I was, he was right there beside me. You know, he would come to me before we would go to his mom. You know, I, I think in many ways that was part of the problems that developed in our relationship was because while she was out earning a career, it was very difficult for her to lose sight of the fact that she wasn't there bonding with Dylan the way I was. And I think that that was a huge problem for her. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has been a problem for her for a long time now. A bloodhound from Albuquerque came up to the Vallecito Reservoir the other day and went out with a task force. Officials say bloodhounds can pick up a scent up to six weeks after an event. We're told the search covered the same ground as before, but the hound did not discover any trace of Dylan. I spoke with Dylan's mother, Elaine, last week. We have to speculate, you know, where he is and if he's okay. And, you know, is he eating? Is he going to be home for Christmas so that we can... HLN's Nancy Grace gave him national attention, featuring his case twice already. Investigators tell Action 7 News tonight they still don't know how Dylan vanished, but as time goes on, it's more concerning by the minute. It's been nearly two weeks since 13-year-old Dylan Redwine disappeared from his father's home in southwest Colorado. Investigators are now describing the search for Dylan as a, quote, criminal investigation. Dylan was visiting his dad from Monument, where he and his mother had moved over the summer. Tonight, about 80 people gathered in Monument to hold a vigil for Dylan. I don't know how our family could get through this without the support of the community. That was quite evident when Nicole Yost saw how many people came out to show support for her cousin Dylan, who had just moved here a few months back. He is a funny, smart, and very athletic kid. He's just super sweet as well. Always had a smile on his face. you hear in the news and you watch on TV, but you don't ever realize that it could happen to your family.
It's every parent's worst nightmare to have your child disappear. And as Kathy Kemp will point out, it also reminded them of how precious life can be. Everyone needs to hold their kids a little tighter, give them some more hugs, tell them that they love them. Because even on a night with so much uncertainty, the 14-year-old friend... I just, all I, I can't stop praying for him. The grown-up cousin... Um, you know, every day you're just praying and praying, praying for good news. And, and the worried mother... Send some prayers out for Dylan. All shared the same feeling, hope. You wake up every day and you just have to have that hope. Members of the FBI, the CBI, and local authorities created the Dillon Red Wine Task Force in an effort to help find Dillon. Initially, they thought that he could have possibly run away. However, they ruled that out earlier in the week, now saying that it is likely a kidnapping or even worse. Adele, when I was in southwest Colorado earlier in the week, I spoke with one of the La Plata County Sheriff's deputies, and he told me that with his 32 years in the force, he has never had to work on an investigation like this where there are no clues that can point them into the person's uh, direction. All right, Kevin Tours and Monument. Thanks, Kevin. Dylan Redwine disappeared one day after arriving at his father's house for a court-ordered visit. That was Monday, November 19th, 2012. Nine days later, on November 28th, the task force officially announced that Dylan was no longer considered a runaway case. The sheriff did not elaborate on what led them to this conclusion. They also said that the case was still being viewed as a search and not a recovery. Dylan, obviously very interested in sports. You guys did trips to go see like major league teams play, yes? Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about that. You did some this summer. Well, one of the goals that I've had, and this goes back to with Corey as well, but one of the things that I wanted to do in our lifetime was be able to go to every baseball stadium in the country. So, for example, last year we went to Chicago to, and then we went to Cleveland to watch the Rockies play the Indians where we actually met Todd Helton's father while we were watching the game. And I will tell you that he spent 45 minutes and an hour talking to Dylan about what he could do to make a better baseball player. So this year we decided Dylan was a huge Boston fan why I couldn't tell you but he wanted to go to Boston to see the Red Sox and people thought I was crazy because I was willing to drive that far for Dylan just so he could see a baseball game but that's what Dylan wanted and I would do anything for that boy so while we were there we went to New York City because he We'd been to Chicago the year before and had their version of pizza, and we, we wanted to go to New York City and, and have New York City-style pizza. So we went to Brooklyn, got in taxi cabs, went to the, one of the most popular places in all of Brooklyn for pizza, stood in line for 45 minutes to an hour just to get in. And I didn't think we could eat the whole thing, and that boy ate two-thirds of it. He wolfed it down. You know, we got in the cab, went back to the hotel, and then we went to Cooperstown to see the Baseball Hall of Fame. And then from there, 
you know, we were kind of in a hurry to get back, but, you know, that's when we went through Buffalo, just because it's a, it's a, it's a town that has professional sports, mm -hmm. specifically the Bills. And, you know, it's just something that Dylan can add to his list of places that he'd been that had to deal with professional sports. Was Mark Redwine ever violent to Dylan or Corey in the past? You know, he, he wasn't violent in that he, you know, was necessarily physically violent. I think that he screamed a lot. And I do think that he was kind of old school in, in the um, discipline area mm -hmm. uh, so that he would spank. And I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, you know, I don't believe in that type of, of, um, of discipline. So it was always a point of contention with he, he and I. But, you know, I, um, he never just struck Dylan, you know, in an inappropriate way. Well, he never struck Dylan to the point that I would be concerned to send Dylan mm -hmm. away with him. Uh, does does Mark, you know, maybe you don't know this, does he have a lot of friends? Does he uh, hang out? I mean, does he have a social life that you know of? Or is he just kind of locked away? Well, you know, I I, I don't really know um, about his social life much, but mm -hmm. I do know that since Dylan's went in the same, you know, he's spent – many weeks on end just sitting, you know, in his cabin up, up in Vicedo and um, just not been very active or engaged at all through this whole process. You know, you guys, you guys were married once. There had to be something good there at one point in your life. Maybe if you just talk. I think talk. that was a crime in Mark's life when he was a different person, though. And yeah. quite honestly, I don't even know who he is anymore. I don't even think he knows who he is anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. Uh... But, but I agree with you, Trisha, that I, you know, the, the mediation, I want an opportunity to ask questions. I want the opportunity to be able to state how I feel to him. Dr. Phil, it was so, you know, there, there's so much that nobody saw, obviously, because mm -hmm. it was a long show. And I, no one was making Mark out to be the bad guy. Everybody just wants to find Dylan. And I think that most people, when they, when they look at what has transpired over the last six and a half months, they have a lot of questions for Mark, as I do as well. Coming up in Chapter 2, the Dylan Redwine Saga. I, I know Dylan afterwards did bring it up to Mark, and it was, it was just recently... Um, but I don't so, know. Okay, so just, okay, let's, let's back up because this is important. Dylan just recently brought up to Mark about the pictures he discovered. Thank you for listening to episode one of the Dylan Redwine Saga. In episode two, we will be diving into the details of Mark Redwine's peculiar sexual fetish and also looking closer at the timeline of the day that Dylan went missing. If you want to hang out with us and discuss what just happened in this episode, then check out the tapes from the Dark Side After Show. My good friend Danielle, who's a true crime fan, joins me in a little fireside chat, 
and she lets me pick her brain and get her take on what just went down. If you have any questions or comments for us, then email tapesfromthedarksidepod at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail and hear your voice on this show. That is 501-420-DARK. Again, 501-420-DARK and leave us a message. Please consider supporting our work by going to patreon.com slash tapes from the dark side and become a member today. Membership gets you a link to our premium feed, which has episodes in the highest audio quality, ad free, and you get bonus content. Become a premium member today for only $1 per month. Special thank you to 2600 for allowing us to use his song as the show theme. If you like what you're hearing right now, then check him out. He is on Spotify, YouTube, and Bandcamp. That is 2600-20-S-I-X-H-U-N-D-R-E-D. He also had a few other songs featured on the show today, so check out the show notes for more info. If you're into 80s video game horror-inspired synth electronica music, then I think you will dig him. The rest of the music featured on the show can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today, dear listener, and we will catch you next time. Now, I know I speak on behalf of myself, as well as TZ Borden, when I say thank you very much, Creeps, for listening to today's episode. I'd like to remind all of you, if you enjoyed today's episode, please go into Spotify, go into Apple Podcasts, go into Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, and search Tapes from the Dark Side. Thanks for tuning in. Stay healthy, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the doors.